I'm so thankful for the Lord. I'm thankful for his word. I've got a lot of scripture today. I hope that it doesn't bore you. I got a lot of Bible today, y'all. I hope you're all right with that. I know it's not, I know it's not normal to have a lot of Bible in our current modern day messages, but I got a lot of Bible today, so, so you're going to have to endure, and I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit funny, but the point is, is I hope that you love the Word of God. The Word of God, when I, when I read the Word of God, it should be more important than the words that I say. If you're going to fall asleep, fall asleep on me, don't fall asleep on this. If you're going to tune out, tune out my words, but don't tune out this word. This is life. This is life. This is our foundation. And so it's our salvation series, part two. And we're going to go there. Are you ready to go there? Let's go there in Jesus' name. I'm looking forward to it. God is good to us. We love you all. And don't forget Testimony Tuesday. Who's up this week, Tuesday? Who's up? Anybody know who's up Tuesday? Do we have anybody Tuesday night? Brother, Brother Joe, are you up Tuesday night? Brother Joe Rhodes, Tuesday night, Testimony Tuesday. I can't wait to hear it, brother. You're going to want to watch that one. And man, it's going to be in the Facebook group for a church. And so if you're a new member, try to get access to that because it's going to be good. Salvation series number two, and we're going to be talking about this today. We need saving. We need saving. If you're married to somebody, you know we need saving. If you've got kids, you know we need saving. If you work a job, you know we need saving. If you watch the news, you know we need saving. If you go get gas, you know. Y'all, we're lost. We are so lost without Jesus. Our world is so lost. Our friends are so lost. Our family is so lost. We need saving. We're lost without him. We're sinners. Without Jesus, we're sinners. And that's our message today. And I hope that I can do it justice. This series weighs heavily on my heart. I could barely sleep last night with the weight and the burden of how we need Jesus so badly. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to go straight into it because I've got so much Bible. If I, if I did a text, it would, be, it would be here all day and you'd be standing all day. Thank you, Lord. And again, to our guests, thank you so much for being here today. We hope that you learned something. We hope that you grow today in the word of the Lord. And I'm looking forward to God speaking to us today. Last uh, week, we... We did part one, and we introduced priorities, and we talked about how if being saved is not your number one priority, you will not make it. It has to be your number one priority. You don't come to church to go to parties. You don't come to church just to make friends. You come to church to get the word of the Lord, to have a pastor, and make sure that you're saved. If everybody turned their back on you, and you met with my wife and I, we would pray and fast with you until you got saved. People, people are looking for a church with friends. You need to look for a man of God. A man of God that will cover you, that will be there for you. How many of your friends will fast with you? I'm not kidding. How many of your friends will really not eat? Yeah. You need to be saved and you need to have your priority. I want to be saved. When you're picking a church, you pick a church where you can be saved. 
Yeah, I don't care how far the drive is. You pick a church where you can be saved. You pick a church that gives your family the best shot, that gives your kids the most, because it's our priority. And if it's not your priority, I'm telling you, I will offend you if it's not your priority. Brother Diego will offend you if it's not your priority as a young person. Brother Andrew will offend you if you're a child and it's not your priority. It has to be your priority. If you're coming to church for social reasons, it won't work. You'll get mad. If you come for social reasons, you'll get mad at somebody when they're not your friend. But if you come because you know you're lost and you need to be saved, then you'll come and be glad. That's why David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There was backstabbing and there was abuse and there were problems in the kingdom, but he was glad to be in the house of God. Because that's where we come to be saved. It's our priority. And last week we talked about it as our priority. It's our number one priority. I'm coming to church to be saved. And I know that some of you have gotten the Holy Ghost. And a long time ago you had a walk with God. And it was powerful. But you still have to be saved right now. It cannot change. It cannot change. It is still my number one priority. Even with my suit on, even being a pastor, I can't let a day go by. I don't wake up and say, I want to be saved, Lord. I'm going to be saved. You're not going to stop it. You're not getting in the way. It's my number one priority. I want to be saved. You say, well, pastor, I, I don't think that I'll ever have a problem. Just wait till somebody makes you mad. Everybody's saved until you lose your job. Everybody's saved until someone makes you mad. Everybody's saved until the, someone you're married to is, is acting crazy. Everybody's saved until you're tempted. Every day we're in a battle and it has to be our number one priority. I want to be saved. If that's not your priority, it won't work. I'll offend you. You won't want my ministry. You won't appreciate me. It has to be your number one goal when you wake up in the morning. I want to be saved no matter what. Number two, you've got to confess, I'm lost. You know, we're living in a day now where you've got to unsave everybody. You've got to unsave them because they think that they're saved, but there's no fruit of their salvation. They don't pray, they don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, but they're saved. And you've got to unsave people. We are preachers of righteousness. We preach the truth, and it hurts to preach the truth. Do you think I enjoy telling people that they are going to be lost? I don't enjoy it. I do it because that's the only hope that they have to be saved. Someone's got to speak up and be the light. Somebody's got to shine the light. But men will hate us because we are light preachers. Men will hate you. If you're all about the social life, you won't make it as a Christian. Because people will hate you for being a Christian. They will hate us for his name's sake because we are the light. And men hate light that love darkness. And so today what I am doing is very difficult because people that, that hate the light, that love their secret deeds, they hate this kind of preaching. But there are hungry people. Make no mistake, there are hungry people that are desperate for a word from God, that want the truth, that are sick of their lifestyles. They want to come out. They want to find the marvelous light. They want to be right with God. They're smart enough to realize, I need to be saved. So today, this is dedicated to you. It's dedicated to those who want to come out of hiding. It's dedicated to those who don't want to be in darkness anymore. It's dedicated to those of you who want the light to shine, to reveal all the nastiness so that you can come out and be free on this July 4th weekend. Let's talk about being free today. But first, we've got to acknowledge the chains, the sin, because it's real. So let me begin. God created humanity with a choice. Adam and Eve, you know that. 
the choice to sin, to choose to put yourself first and not God. And when Adam and Eve listened to Satan and they ate that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, they sinned. It's a Bible word. It's a Bible word that literally means to offend, to go against, to break trust, to hurt, to trespass, to do what is wrong. Sin. I know that we don't use that word in our modern day language, but it it happens every day. People sin against you. The Bible does not just say that we sin against God. It, It says things like you sinned against another. Sin is just an old word for you've done wrong. You've gone against. You've tried to damage. You are selfish. That's what the word sin means. Don't get caught up on the word sin thinking it has nothing to do with you because you don't use that in everyday language. If you offend people, hurt people, damage people, it is sin. It's just specifically, it's sin against God. And that is the problem. And that's what began in the Garden of Eden. They sinned. But not just that, they had children who were born in sin. Adam and Eve were sinners. They conceived and they had children. These children now have a nature of sin. And we know that all humanity comes from Adam and Eve. And therefore today, you and I, we were born sinners. Look what happens when you're born a sinner. No one has to teach you to do wrong. It's just in your nature. I can prove it to you. There were two boys, Cain and Abel, that were born of Adam and Eve. God told Cain, the oldest son, that his offering that he brought to God was lacking. And he didn't have to sin. He did not have to sin. He could go fix his offering and come back and give the right offering to God and everything would be just fine. But he got jealous. He got upset. In fact, God even warned Cain, sin lies at the door. The first time you find the word sin in the Bible is a warning because God does not want you to sin. God does not want you to mess up. God does not want you to choose yourself. God wants you to choose righteousness. And so God warned Cain and said, sin is at the door, the threshold. If you go through the door, it will change everything forever. I don't want you to go through the door of sin, Cain. I want you to go do right and come back. But Cain walked through the door of sin. He acted on his sinful nature. And the Bible says he was jealous of his brother's good sacrifice, and he killed his brother. No one taught him how to murder. It was in him. You can't fix murder, you got to fix sin. You can't fix lying, you got to fix sin. You can't fix selfishness, you got to fix sin. You can't fix all the things that we do wrong, all the theft, all the attitudes, all the pride. You've got to go straight to the root of it all, and that is sin. That's our problem between us and God. You've got to give people grace because they're not right with Him. They're not going to be right with you. Listen, the reason why mom and dad raised you wrong and did you wrong and the reason why it messes with you so bad is because you don't realize that mom and dad weren't right with Jesus. Anybody not right with Jesus is going to treat you wrong. Anybody not right with Jesus is going to abuse you and do you wrong. I don't understand how you could be raised in a home and done wrong and not seek Jesus. Your parents weren't right. Why won't you get right? Well, my dad and mom did this. I guarantee you, your dad and mom weren't right with God. If you, if you would get right with God, you would love, you would cherish, you would respect. It's a sin issue. It's the root of it all. Mm. And I can't help anybody who wants to sin. I can't help anybody who wants to sin. No amount of love will stop a heart set on sinning. 
You can't love sin out of people. You can love them because it's right. But love does not make people stop sinning. Love is not what they deserve. Love is who we are. We love people and God loves us. But love, you can't love somebody that's set on sinning and doing wrong. If they want to do it, they have free choice to do it. So Cain, the firstborn, kills Abel, his younger brother. It was the first murder, and no one even knew how to even kill until Cain imagined it inside of his mind. Sin creates imagination that is so evil that it never has to be done before, and you can do it for the first time. Sin is a a wildfire. It spreads like a wildfire. God had to destroy all of humanity in a flood early on in creation. Because the imagination was evil continually. God said, how do I help a people that imagine evil? There is a difference in making a mistake. God does not destroy people that make mistakes. Mistakes happen. We're flesh and we're human. But the Bible says that God destroyed evil imaginations. This is the secret thing inside of us that is so wrong and wicked. It's a dormant murderer waiting to come out heard a speech recently where a best man got up at the wedding and said, congratulations, but I want to warn you, you are at a higher probability of being murdered now that you're married. Because the higher statistics of of marriage state that your partner is a higher, once you get married, you have a higher chance of being murdered because you're married by the person that you're married to. Yeah, it was supposed to be funny, but it's actually a reality. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's a wildfire. It's imaginations that are hiding. A lot of us don't do things wrong because we're scared of going to jail. You don't have to say a man is still true. A lot of you out there today, listen to me, you thought about it. It was in your imagination, but you didn't do it because you didn't want to get caught. You know if it was, if it was legal to go rob a bank and you can get away with it and not have any repercussions, you'd have done, done it by now. Right after getting gas. But you don't do things, not because it's not in your heart, but you don't do them because you don't want the penalty of it. You don't cheat because you don't want the drama. You cheat in your mind. You cheat online. But you don't cheat for real because you don't want the consequences of getting caught. It's your imagination that God wants to fix. It's inside the secrecy of your heart that God wants to fix. And that's why we've always killed prophets. Because prophets reveal the evil imaginations of people. This is why people want to get get away from people that have prophetic ministries. This is why people want to go down the road and they want to get away from pastors that call stuff out because evil imaginations is who you really are. And that's why if I find out there's a ministry around me that can reveal evil imagination, I want to get close to their feet because I want to get around anybody that can help me with my evil imaginations. I want to make sure that I'm saved even on the secret stuff inside my heart. I don't want there to be anything hidden inside of me that's just waiting to manifest. So sin spreads like wildfire and God had to In order to preserve civilization, God decided there's only one way to solve this evil, continual evil, and that is to flood the earth. But even that did not stop it or solve the problem. Sin was so bad that eventually entire cities were living perverted, nasty lifestyles that I really can't even go into detail today, but you can imagine the worst of the worst. 
I will say it like this. There were one time angels visited the city and they tried to have sexual relations with angels. Sin knows no bounds of perversion. It starts with man, man, woman, woman. It ends up with children, ends up with animals, and then it ends up with angels. This is, the, this is the track of perversion. These cities were so wicked that God said, I can't even fix you. I've got to destroy you. And fire was rained down because of the sin. Y'all, I'm talking about a long time ago. Our history of sin goes way back. This is not a new thing. This has been an issue from the beginning. Bible said Genesis 18 and 20 and the Lord said because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave there it is again in the Bible sin has been displayed it is our issue then God took a people and he separated these people to himself to live in this world and have a relationship with him we have called them traditionally the Jews began with father Abraham and God's plan was to get these people out of the world, separate, walk close to them, give them a law to try to make sure they can live righteously. He gave them a deal. He said, you choose to live right, you choose to obey my commands, and I will bless you, and I will protect you, and I will keep you, and I will give you everything. He tried to get them back in covenant, back in a, a, a promise he gave to them. We call it the time of the law. We call it the Mosaic Law because Moses was their leader. They were given a long list of rules to help them remember right and wrong. It was a part of their every morning schedule. You get up and eat your Wheaties, they would get up and they would quote the Word. Because if you go against the Word, you're going to die. The law was a time when they would try to live by rules. And the power of the law was in the penalty of the law. That's why the law was unfulfilled, and that's why Jesus had to come fulfill the law, because the only power the law had was, if you do it wrong, we'll stone you. That'll make you want to live right. Can you imagine back in those days, someone cheated on their spouse, they got stones, they stoned her to death, I guarantee you, make the next marriage a little better. There's going to be a lot of dates happening that next Friday night around camp. Because the power of the law was in the fear. That was the power of the law. But you know what's crazy? Stoning people to death still didn't fix it. Can you imagine anything more, more horrendous than someone being hit with rocks from people with bad aim? They weren't athletic MLB stars back then. They probably were horrible at throwing stuff. They didn't practice throwing stuff like we do. I wouldn't mind it today. You get hit in the head one time with a fastball, get killed. You'd be, never even know what hit you. But back then, you're talking about a bunch of people throwing rocks at you. What if they miss? What if it takes an hour? I, I can't imagine how gruesome it would be to stone someone to death. Yet, people still sin. There's no amount of fear a pastor can cause on a church to make people better. The whole, the whole scare people with hell stuff doesn't work. It's the truth, but it doesn't work. I preach it because it's real, but it doesn't work. You can't scare people out of sin. You can't threaten people out of sin. You can't take away enough to make them live right. Doesn't work. Y'all, we need a savior. We need saving. We're so messed up, I can watch somebody that I love get stoned one minute and me sin the next. Y'all, we need saving. What kind of messed up people are we? How messed up are we that you couldn't even live by the law? It's so clear. There's no question. Live by the law, be blessed. Yet generation after generation, they would be stoned and killed and destroyed. And God would open up the earth and swallow people. 
Y'all seen them potholes on the news? Watch out. God's coming for some of y'all. Them sinkholes? This sinkhole just in, uh, it's the size of a football field, right next to an apostolic person's house who didn't pay their tithes. And we don't know what's happening here, but uh, some of y'all can't laugh because you ain't paying your tithes. See, the rest of y'all are just like, ha, ha, I pay my tithes. Ha, ha. That's me, Jesus. I'm saying there's no amount of fear that can, can make you want to do stuff that's right. But that's what happened in the Old Testament. This is why Jesus came, y'all. Jesus came because it wasn't working. You can't fix him with all that stuff. Y'all, we're messed up. The point I'm trying to make right now is, as human beings, our sinful nature is so nasty, so horrible, that you can't beat it out of somebody. And this is why we got to love each other at church. Because you can't threaten somebody to get them changed. You can't be mean to someone to get them to treat you good. It don't work, y'all. When will we realize the issue is sin, not each other? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the rulers of the darkness, the secret things, things that are inside, things you can't touch. That's our battle. It's a sin issue. Hey, forgive people. You know why? Because they're sinners. Forgive mom and dad. They're sinners. Don't hold a grudge against mom and dad when mom and dad raised me. I don't know why I'm talking about that today, but that's for somebody right now. Mom and dad didn't treat me right. Mom and dad didn't pray or fast. Mom and dad didn't submit to a pastor. I promise you that. Mom and dad didn't live right. Mom and dad were wrong with Jesus, and that's why you were hurt and abused, and you better get right with God. You're going to end up just like mom and dad. I feel that for someone today. For someone today, you're mad at mom and dad because mom and dad weren't right with him. What's so crazy in our world is that we get so mad about the way we're raised and we act just like our parents. What are you talking about? You want to talk in sessions of counseling about how you were abused and then you're just as unfaithful as your mom and your dad? Did they go to church? No. Did they have a pastor? No. You're acting just like them. That's for someone today. You need to release that from your parents because it's becoming a justification for your lifestyle. You need to release your mom and dad. They weren't right with God. They were sinners. Sin is the problem, y'all. If you want to get mad at something today, get mad at sin. Get mad at sin. Sin destroys the world. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys our children. Sin. Help us, God. We need saving today. King David, I'm going to go through the progression. We're, we're going still. Psalms 51, King David, a man after God's own heart. Look what he said when he got in trouble. He even confessed this. A king confessed this. A king confessed this. Everybody say a king. Anybody want to be great? A king confessed that they met, did wrong. Yeah. And he was a man after God's own heart. If you want to be a man after God's own heart, God will give you power and authority and riches and great things, but you have to confess when you're wrong. That's a king. That's a king God loves. Look what David says after he, let me just tell you what he did. It even says it right here. It says in, in, my, in my notes to the chief musician, a psalm of David, verse 1, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba and committed adultery, committed adultery, a man after God's heart, look what he did. Look what he prayed. This is what they recorded. It wasn't a private prayer. This was, this was public. It was recorded. Look what it says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. I know that you still love me even though I've made a mistake. 
Wow, what a powerful revelation in the Old Testament. To know that God loves you even when you deserve to be stoned and killed. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, God. You have the power to remove the stain off of me. Look, this is prophetic, y'all. This was not normal for the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you didn't deal with sin this way. You didn't deal with sin through prayer. But he had a revelation that God had the power to forgive sin because of a broken heart. Look at this. This is powerful. Look what the king says. Wash me thoroughly, thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Even King David said, I'm a sinner. He's got a, he's got a big castle. He's got power. He's got servants. And he says, I'm a sinner. What's wrong with us? Sitting in church like, well, y'all ready to go? Let's go. I'm not a sinner. King David, a man after God's own heart, said, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I need help. None of the riches help me. Oh, wow. I just talked about how the fear doesn't help you and the pain doesn't help you live right. Guess what else doesn't help you live right? All the power and all the riches don't help you live right. Can't give you enough money to live right. Can't give you enough jobs that you want to live right. Can't give you enough vacations to live right. Can't give you enough houses to live right. Can't give you enough friends to live right. Power, authority, none of that will help you not sin. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to someone right now. Whether it's pain or it's pleasure, none of that will help you get right with God. I got a word for the poor folks and the rich folks today. None of that stuff's going to help you get rid of your sin. It's not if I just had this, I'd be better. If I had that, I'd be a better Christian. No, if you got rid of your sin, if you had a Savior, if you could get saved, you'd be okay. For I acknowledge, verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. That's what we need to do today in this place. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only. Wait a minute, that's not true, David. You committed adultery. You've run people's lives. Look what David was saying. He was saying, the issue is not between me and Bathsheba. The issue is not between me and anybody else. The issue is between me and God. The reason why Bathsheba was damaged by me is because I am wrong with God. That's what he said. He said, the issue here, the sin issue, is between me and God. Forget everybody else. That's all just collateral damage from what's wrong between me and God. It's just you that I've sinned against, God. It's me and you that have a problem, God. We want to blame everybody else. But look what he did. Look what he confessed. This is a king. This is a kingship right here. This is authority and power. He said, no, the truth is I'm not right with God. Some of the best words you could ever find in your vocabulary is, I need a savior. I'm not right with God. I'm wrong with God. I'm sinning. I'm struggling. I need help with Jesus. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, watch this, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, my desire, thou desire truth in the inward parts, the hidden parts, the evil imagination, the secret places. Thou desires truth where no one can see it. That's where you want to go, God. Remember, y'all, the law is all about what you see on the outside. If you didn't get caught doing it, you didn't get in trouble. But now we're living in the dispensation of grace, and we're under a new law. We're under the law of liberty. And the law of liberty is what's happening inside of our hearts right now as I preach to you. What you want 
what you desire, what you want to do, but you don't know if you can get away with it. This is what he's saying. God, give me truth in the inside because his sin came from the inside. It wasn't an outside issue. It was an inside issue. Look what he's saying here. We're studying. Are you okay studying? Everybody good? This is the word of the Lord. I hope you're soaking it up right now. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I'm broken, God. I'm in need, God. I have everything, and yet I can't stop sinning. I need you to save me. I need you to wash me. I need you to fix me. You're my only hope. You've got everything, David, but he wants Jesus because he knows he needs the king of kings in his life to be saved. So we seek in God. He says in verse 9, hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Look, he's not saying reverse all the stuff that I did. He's saying fix me. Here's how we pray when we go to church. God, fix the thing I did last night and help me not have to pay for it. You're you're missing it, y'all. You're missing it. You came to church for the wrong reason. You came to church because you're trying to get everything better in the earth. You're missing the point, y'all. We're lost unless we get a new heart. We're lost unless we get a new mind. We're lost unless God goes on the inside and he fixes the evil imaginations. He says, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David did not say, God, let me keep my crown. Let me keep my job. Let me keep everything financial. He said, just give me your spirit. If you will learn to pray about the condition of your heart, God will let you keep the rest. If you will stop trying to say, God, I'm in trouble. Don't let me lose this, 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 or this. And you start praying, God, just don't let me lose you. I might lose my position as a singer at the church, but don't let me lose you. I might lose my position as a leader, but don't let me lose you. I might lose this power on the earth, but don't let me lose you. Because if I have you, I can get all of that back one day. Oh, wow, I feel the Holy Ghost. Watch this, verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Bring back the joy of what it feels like to know that I'm saved. How long have you lived off of the extra blessings of salvation that you're no longer in love with just being saved? You've lost the joy of knowing that you're eternally secure. You've lost the joy of knowing that if you were to die right now, you would be saved. He said, let me restore joy in the fact that I'm, I'm saved. Right now, there's a spirit among us that says, if I could just get this, I'd have joy. But, but you've got to get to this place where you say, God, restore the, the joy of my salvation. Restore the joy that says I'm right with him. It doesn't matter who's against me. I'm right with him. It doesn't matter what I lose. I get to keep the presence of God. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Fast forward to the New Testament. John 1, 29. The Bible says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus came to take away the sin. He saw the problem. 
He saw that pleasure doesn't work. He saw that pain doesn't work. He saw that penalty doesn't work. Only the power of the cross will, will, will work. Only the blood will work. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Ladies and gentlemen, we need saving. Luke 19 and 9, and Jesus said to him, that's Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We are lost. That's why he came. If you believe that he came, you believe that you're lost. All these believers being like, I believe, I believe he came. Then you believe, you believe why he came. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. If you believe that he came, then you believe that it came for you. Right now in this service, if you believe in him, and you believe that he came, and you believe that he came and walked on this earth, he came why? He came to seek and to save people who are lost. We need a Savior. We need saving. 1 John 1 and 5, then this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We need to be cleansed of our sin. You ready for verse 8? If we say that we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, preachers just blow and smoke. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He's not talking to me right now. He's talking to somebody else. You're deceiving yourself. You're hurting yourself. I won't be hurt. I'm going to be right with God. You're hurting yourself. I confess when I mess up. Do you? If we say we don't need a Savior, you're not getting one. He is irrelevant to you. He said, the whole need not a physician. He said, people that think they're right don't need me. He said, I came for broken, hurting people that know they're in trouble. I came to help people that know they need me. I'm irrelevant to people who just sit there and say, I'm fine. <sighs> Y'all, when will we figure it out? We need a Savior. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, not hide our sins, if we confess our sins, that means to tell them, open them up, reveal them, and not hide from them. I'm so tired of Christian folks trying to keep their church positions while holding on to their sin. You're going to be lost singing on the platform. You're going to be lost teaching Sunday school. You're going to be lost as a leader. Well, the only reason why the Pentecostal church has kept on to secret sin is because we've taught our people to hide and do it secretly so that you can maintain your spiritual status among the brothers. And that's why there's been secret sinning going on in church because we don't honor, we don't lift up people that confess. We kick people out that confess and we hold them close that hide. But those days are done. In the last days, we've got to preach this book and not religion. And this book says, confess, pay the price for it, and God will restore it all back to you. But stop hiding in your sin. Confess, because we have a Savior. 
If we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. When you mess up, just confess it. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good to hide it because now you're living in your sins. And this is why you have to confess for forgiveness because if you don't confess, you don't acknowledge that you're doing it, you'll never change. There's no point in Jesus forgiving you if you're going to do it again next week. That's why confession is a part of forgiveness. Y'all know that? The reason why he says confess so that you can be forgiven is because it doesn't do any good to forgive someone who's going to do it again. And if you don't acknowledge that you're doing it, you'll live in deception, you'll keep doing it, and you can't forgive someone that keeps repeating the offense. You've got to stop. So confession is tied to forgiveness. You've got to own it and say, I'm wrong. And he says, thank you. It's okay now. Keep talking to me about it, see? You want to get right with me? Tell me that you're wrong. Do you want to fix it? Just tell me that you're wrong. He's a good father. He's a good father. Y'all hear me? He's a good father. He will protect you. He will love you. When you confess your sin, he will save you. Y'all, we need a savior today. We need to confess today. Stop hiding today because he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will wash it all away and give us a brand new smell. He'll give us a deep breath. He'll give us the weight off our shoulders. If we can just confess it, you're going to feel better when you confess. Verse 10, and if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. What are you talking about? I haven't sinned. You're calling Jesus a liar when you do that. His word is not in us when we do that. The point I'm trying to make with the word of the Lord today is that we, we are in trouble as a humanity. As, a, as humanity, we're in trouble. We need saving. Coming to my close now with the great apostle Paul, a great man of God, saw miracle signs and wonders. He started churches all over the world. The guy was incredible. He knew that he was going to die, and when he found out that he was going to die and he was going to go to Rome and he was going to be beheaded, the, the Lord told him that he was going to go and die, and this is what this great man of God said. He said, for me to go is, is good. It's good for me if I go. Paul said, it's good for me if I go because they're going to kill me. You know what that means? It's good for me if I go because they're going to kill me. I'm going to go to heaven. That's the man of God we're talking about right now. Have you all ever said that? I ain't never said that. He says, but it's, it's good for you if I stay. If I stay, I get to minister to you. But if I go die, I get to go to heaven. This is the man of God, y'all. This great man of God was an apostle. He wrote the majority of the New Testament letters to the church. He was mightily used of God. He was a mentor of mentors. He could do anything. He could work in all the gifts of the Spirit. He was powerful. He was great. And listen to what he wrote whenever he wrote books of the Bible. Look what he wrote in Romans 3, 23. He said, for all have sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the greatest men of God you'll ever find in the Bible is writing a letter saying, all have sinned, even me. I have sinned, you have sinned, we've all come short. None of us are able to make it without a long stretched arm that rescues us because we're all coming up short, even me. Romans 5 and 6, for, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 12, therefore, just as through one man centered in the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. Sin came in through Adam. Sin came in through Adam. That's what he's saying. So also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who does he attribute or contribute the answer to our salvation? He says Jesus is the answer. Romans 7 and 19, for the good that I... I will to do, I do, I do not. This is a great man of God, y'all. Listen to his testimony. I want to do good stuff, but I can't do it. How many of you ever made your mind up, I'm going to do something good today, I'm going to do something good, I'm not going to do that today. And you do it anyway. Now you're laughing because you know you don't want to. You know, here's the most important thing about serving the Lord, don't want it. You might do it, but don't want it. If you can ever get to the point to where you don't want to do it and live that way, you'll eventually get to the point where you don't do it. The problem is not in the doing it, it's the wanting it. That's when you're messed up. You're really messed up when you want to do it. There's a difference in not wanting to do it and being tempted. Right? So look what he's saying. There's good things I want to do, but I can't do them. But the evil that I will not to do. There's evil, I don't want to do it, but I practice evil, and I tell myself, don't do that today. The Apostle Paul, I'm a, I'm a great man of God, I'm blessed, I'm a pastor, blessed God, I got a license to UPC, I don't never make a mistake. Look what Paul is saying. Where, where are those preachers at that act like the guys in the Bible? Everybody's like, I want to be apostolic. That's apostolic. Forget your white shirt, shaving your beards, Mr. Apostolic running around the church all the time. What about this kind of apostolic who says, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. I ain't right. Sometimes I do wrong. I have, I have thoughts. I have temptations. But Jesus saves me. Jesus protects me. That's an apostolic also. Videos circulating all over the world about apostolic preachers telling us stuff like, if you're truly apostolic, shave your beard. And I'm like, why don't you get up and tell what you struggle with? Then I'll listen to you about your beards. Get up and be apostolic, man. Talk about what you've done wrong. Help somebody that goes through sin. Tell them that you used to be hooked on pornography and how to get out of it. Stop acting so self-righteous. The world is making fun of you. They don't respect a thing we believe until we get to be really apostolic. This is apostolic, y'all. Cast out demons, open blinded eyes, but don't act like you're God's gift to humanity, like you know everything, you're better than everybody. This is apostolic. Let's confess we need a Savior. Hey, y'all, we can be both. We can be conservative and holy and confessional at the same time. This is apostolic. He said, I want to do right. Verse 20, 
Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who, who do it. But it's the sin that's inside of me. You know, deep down, you're good people, AFC. There's good people here. You know what the problem is? The problem is not you. The problem is the sin. This is why you can't threaten your spouse to be a better spouse. If you don't change... You know, what, you know what sin is doing inside of your spouse? <laughs> okay, oh, you scared me. <laughs> they couldn't stone me out a thousand years ago. You can't scare it out of me now. They couldn't pay me enough money to get out of them. You can't pay me enough now. You can't threaten people to change. It's the sin issue. Verse 23, we're almost there. But I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? He said, I know what I'm up against. I'm a great man of God. I know that I am, but I battle the temptation and the sinful nature every day. What is going to save me from this? Who is going to deliver me from this? Number one step, recognize you're in a battle. Recognize that sin is coming for you. Recognize you need a savior. I don't care how special you are, how long you've been in church. If you give an inch to the devil, he'll take a mile. If you act like you're safe, he'll get you quick. If you act like you're not in trouble, he'll come after you. You've got to confess it. Who's going to save me? I'm tempted. I want to quit church. I want to give up. Who's going to save me? No man's going to save you. Your husband won't save you. Your wife won't save you. Preacher can't do it. There's no one that can be enough for your sin. I thank God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to deliver me? Our God. Jesus Christ our Lord is going to be our Savior from this wicked sin inside of us. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul never hid his battle with sin. Instead, he owned it and he used it to help others. 1 Timothy 1 and 15 and 16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Great man of God. Great man of God. I'm the chief of sinners. Great man of God. Why are you saying that, Paul? Why would you dare tell everybody that you understand what it's like to be in sin. Verse 16. Howbeit for this cause, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth. Verse 16. First Timothy 1 16. Is that up? First Timothy 1 16. I want them to see this if you can get it. You should have it in your notes. For this cause, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern. There it is. Thank you. For a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul said, I am the example that you can use because I understand sin and I've gotten out of sin. And now if I tell you about my journey, I can help you 
take my pattern, my blueprint, and you can get out because I was the chief of sinners. I was a Christian killer. I know what it's like to battle this. Therefore, let me tell you how to get free, how to be saved. Number one, confess that you need it. The letter to Rome in our Bibles, the book of Romans, is full of topics of sin. And last night I was reading and I saw the word sin so many times in the book of Romans and I, I heard a voice say, why is the book of Romans full of sin? And it was kind of weird because Omar and Lorena had just gone to Rome. It's a wicked old spirit place. And I began to think about what happened in Rome. Y'all went to the Colosseum where people for sport were killed and murdered so those wicked people could enjoy their bloodlust. Rome, Rome, Rome. And what did Paul write to the wickedness of Rome? He said, let's talk about your sin, Rome. Now we're in America. America. We're acting just like Rome. We're declining just like Rome. We've had our heyday. We've had our nice time. But now we're falling to pieces like Rome. And what is the message to to, to America right now? Sin, sin, sin. You need a savior, America. You need a savior, ladies and gentlemen. With all your riches, with all your blessings, you have sin problems. You need a Savior. Paul didn't play. Jesus didn't play. The only way to love the wicked is to preach against sin. We just need to love the wicked. I I believe that. I do love people. In fact, I'm loving y'all right now more than you've been loved all week. Because I'm preaching the truth to you. I just want to feel love in that church. How do you feel more love than this? I don't know. Got me up here stressing out, seeing if I'm going to offend half of y'all, not be able to pay the church bills next week, but I do it anyway. I do it anyway because we care about you. At the risk of us, we care about you. This is love. The only way to love a wicked generation is to preach against sin and to preach for Jesus. We need saving. And the reason why you don't pray is because you don't think you need saving. Oh, God, forgive me for getting up in the morning and not praying because I think I'm already saved. I'm deceived. When do you get to the place where you no longer need him? Who created the doctrine of you can get saved from needing him? Who created the doctrine that said you could go to an altar, confess him as your savior, and never talk to him again. It's a lie, denominational churches. It's a lie. It may not be your fault because you believed your grandma, but it's still a lie from somewhere, and just because you took it, and just because you're deceived by it, it's still wrong, and we've got to preach the truth. I don't care how it happened, but it happened, and here we are in America, and people no longer want to go to church. 
And the people that go to church don't pray because they think they don't need a Savior and they're lied to every day. The reason we don't pray and we don't fast and we don't think church is important because we think we're already saved. What kind of doctrine dismisses you from devotion? What kind of doctrine tells you you don't have to seek him anymore? What kind of damnable doctrine in this world that tells us we don't have to worship him anymore? It's a lie, and you feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. You know I'm telling the truth. Uh, we've lied to people, and it's, I'm so tired of it. And God called me to preach against sin and to tell you we've got to get back to the Savior because we're lost. And if we don't seek him, we'll be lost. If we don't seek him, we'll be lost. He was not just my Savior. He is still my Savior. He'll be my Savior tomorrow. When I wake up, I'll have sin knocking at the front door, and I'm going to need to seek after Jesus. I've been to conferences. I've been to youth camps. I've prayed, I've fasted, and I've studied the Bible, and I still wake up every day with sin staring me in the face saying, don't live right. And I say, no, I'm going to live right. And sin says, no, you won't. I'm always with you. I'm talking to you every day. I'm dual nature, just like you. And here's what happens. I tell sin, I'm already saved, get away. And I live my day without even talking to God, thinking I need to read my Bible. Because somebody somewhere put the doctrine of once saved, always saved in us, and it's a lie. Every day I wake up, I renew my salvation. Every day I live, I, I, I pray without ceasing. Every day, every moment is an opportunity to make sure I'm close to the Savior. There is no day off. There's no time where I get to take a break because sin is always there. Every vacation, every struggle, sin is there. I've got to walk with him every day. I've got to be there all the time with him in prayer and Bible study and church and devotion. Help us, God. You don't, obey the, the, you don't obey or study the Bible or obey it because you don't think you need saving. Help us, God. You don't want to ask for help from your pastor because you don't think that you're in danger of going to hell. It's a deception. Why are there not more people asking for help? Well, we act like we're fine. Well, we're not fine. We need a Savior. We're so hurting. We're so messed up. And I want you to know right now today you're not dumb, but you might be deceived. You are not dumb, but you might be deceived. And this kind of preaching is supposed to cut into your heart, peel back the layers of deceit, and challenge and test that spirit so that you can be saved. Here's what I felt in the Holy Ghost today. Listen to me. Some of you might not be in church next week. This might be your last chance to hear the word. And you might not like me, and you may choose to change churches, but you need to know this, you got to be saved. you got to know that sin is always there, and we need a Savior. And I know this is uncomfortable for you, and I know it's tough to hear, but I've got to shake someone right now because church is the best place to backslide. You think you're safe. You think that you got your clothes on, and you made the drive to church, and the voice says you're probably good. But there's nothing in you that says, I want him. I need him. 
I want to seek him. I want to weep for him. I want to seek his face. Where did that happen? It happened from the deceitful doctrine of our day that lied to us and said there's a place you get to where you no longer have to have devotion. It's not true. We're lost, y'all. Every minute we ignore him, we're lost. Every second we don't care, we're lost. This is in or out. Jesus said, I want you to be hot or cold. He didn't say anything about partial salvation. There is no partial salvation. You're either going to hell right now or you're going to heaven right now. There is no middle ground. There is sinner and there is saved. There is ungodly and godly. There is righteous and unrighteous. That's all there is, y'all. And if I loved you, I would preach this thing, and I would push, and I would take chances, and I would be bold. Thank you for those of you who couldn't take it anymore. I pray that that spirit hits every one of us, whether you come to the front or not. I pray that a pressure would come in the name of Jesus. While you're praying, that's fine. Just listen to me. Let me show you what it looks like. Philippians 3 and 13, Paul said, brethren... I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Look what Paul, look what the preacher said. I press toward. Y'all hearing me today? I press toward. It might not be easy, but I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I do not say I have already obtained. I do not say I have already obtained. I do not say I'm already there. I do not say, but here's something that I do. I press. You want to know if you're saved today? Do you feel pressure? He said, I press. This is how you know you're saved. It's never easy. There's no days off. Every day you wake up, you fight. And you press. He said, I press toward the mark. He said, I'm not there yet, even though 10 people got saved last week in my ministry. Even though I talk in tongues, I'm not there yet. I press. He said, I press toward the mark. I press. He said, I don't just walk casually. He said, I press. If you're not pressing, you're not saved. There are people right now in this room, you have no pressure on you. There's no fight in you. And I'm, I dare say you're probably not even right with God because this is how you look whenever you're really going to be saved. You never get there until you're there. This is why you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm not on the streets of gold yet. I'm not there yet. Where's my Bible? Where's my prayer room? I'm going to seek my Savior. I need a Savior. I press. This is what I saw last night. The Lord showed me a visual of somebody putting their shoulder to it and saying, I'm going to be saved. Some of you are like, God, it's too difficult. It's too much weight. It's okay. It's not how fast you go. Just keep pushing. Keep pushing. Don't give up. I don't care what your husband or wife says your kids do. Keep pushing. Don't quit. This is what salvation looks like right here. Come to church anyway. Gas prices go up. Keep pushing. I know it's tough. People don't like you. Keep pushing. I know this is salvation. If the, if the most holy man in the Bible says, I have not obtained yet. 
What are we doing? What are we doing? How many devils have you cast out? How many people have you saved? Paul did all of that, but yet he said, I confess to you, I'm not there yet. I still need help. I still need Jesus. I still need the altar. I still need to pray. I still need Jesus. I press toward the mark. Oh, God, help us in the name of Jesus. Uh, it's so hard, God. That's all right. That means you're pushing. <laughs> oh, Pastor, it's so hard. I know that means you're pushing. I promise you're gaining ground. It might not look like it, but you are. <laughs> you might not see anything but what you're pushing, but you look down at your feet. You're gaining ground. You're going somewhere. I know it might look like nothing, but you see nothing but your trial. I get it. But just look, just look down. You're, you're gaining ground. Look backwards. You're gaining ground. You're not the way you used to be. You're not the way you used to be. I know that it seems like you don't know where you're going sometimes, but keep pushing. Keep your arm on it. Keep praying. Keep fasting. Don't give up. You're almost there. You're going to make it. You're going to walk on streets of gold one day. Yeah. Yes, you will. You will make it. But every day you wake up, push, push. Push through the talk. Push through the complaints. Push through the depression. Push through the people. Press your way. We need saving, church family. I hope to God we're not so desensitized by Hollywood and horror movies the things like this don't stir us anymore. Do you understand? Do you understand? We're going to die. We're this close to the rapture. This message used to move America. This message used to make people weep and repent and give up everything. We can't be silent. Christians have been lied to long enough. Don't stop pushing. Don't give up. Come on, you're not dumb. You're smart. You're a good investor. You know what you've got to do to be saved. You must push every day. You must press every day. Paul said, I'm not there yet, but I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm going to go. <laughs> Come on, I see you at the altar. God's going to bless you. This is a good choice you're making, ladies and gentlemen. I see you praying. This is a good choice you're going to make. Stop telling God everything you're good at and say, I still need a Savior. Stop telling Jesus all the good things you do and confess there's still things I need to push out of the way. We need saving. I need saving. I'm a pastor and I need saving. I'm a pastor and I need confession. I'm a pastor and I need a pastor. I'm a pastor. I need brothers and sisters. I'm a pastor and I need to make sure I'm right with God. Confessional, repentant, fasting. Woo. We need saving. We have a Savior. He wants to save us. He wants to love us. He wants to bless us. He wants to care for us. Come on, let's weep before the Lord today. Let's seek His face today. Let's declare.
that we need him. Let's declare that we need him. Let's confess that we need him. Let's press. Let's focus. Let's make sure that nothing gets in the way. I know you do good things, church family, but what about the things that are secret, that are hiding, that only a few people know about? When will you take them seriously and say, let's deal with these things? We love you, church family. We're here for you, church family. We'll do anything for you, church family. We're here to make sure you're saved, not comfortable. Here to make sure that you're going to heaven not rich. We're not here to make sure you got all the money in the world. We're to make sure you leave the world. That's what we care about. That's what we're doing today. Come on, let's be apostolic. Let's confess. Let's seek him. Let's pray. Come on, you won't figure it all out in this prayer meeting, but here's what you'll do. You'll make your mind up. I need him, I need him, I need him. If I could just convince you of that one thing today, I need him, I need him. You can't pray too much. You can't have too much church. I need him.